If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4. I was here a couple weeks ago and preached on the first temptation of Christ, so I thought I'd preach on the second temptation of Christ this morning. But we'll read um, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and read through verse 7. So we'll read both of the temptations. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. After the baptism of Jesus at the end of chapter 3, where Jesus is declared the Son of God by the Father in heaven, we have uh, the temptation of Christ, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would abide with us, continue to abide with us during this hour. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work, that these words would not fall on deaf ears, but that you would take these words and use them in the lives of your people. We pray that the Spirit would be at work through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Perhaps you've seen a magic show. With a puff of smoke, the magician appears. With a quick hand, he performs awe-inspiring feats. He might pull a rabbit out of a hat, a dove out of an empty sleeve, or an egg from behind someone's ear. I like the one where the assistant lays down in the box, and the box is sawn in two and is separated, and the head goes one way, and the feet go the other way, and you wonder, how do they do that? And the audience oohs and ahs at some of these feats. And we enjoy that. We like the sensational, and there's nothing wrong with that. Unless our faith becomes nothing more than a magic show. Several years ago, I read about a certain faith healer who used a wireless microphone and a receiver so someone could communicate with him information about certain individuals in the audience under the pretense that he had the gift of knowledge. He became nothing more than a magician doing tricks. I wonder sometimes, do we treat God this way? Do we want him to perform for us? Do we go to him only when we need something? Do we challenge him to prove himself by doing what we want him to do? 
Now, there's nothing wrong with praying that God would do something specific in a specific situation, perhaps heal someone. We do that all the time. But the danger is if we demand that God would prove himself by acting in a certain way, then we are testing God and not trusting God. And so the devil takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of a temple to a very high spot. Maybe one of those places where if you look down, you get a little dizzy. And Satan challenges him. Jesus, do something spectacular. Go ahead and jump. And don't you know scripture? God through his angels, they'll catch you. And we will see how much God really cares for you. In the first temptation, Jesus refused to use his powers to meet his physical needs. Man shall not live by bread alone. There's something more important in life than the meeting of my physical needs. And that's doing the will of God, receiving the word of God, trusting in God. And now Satan comes and and challenges Jesus. So you believe the word of God, do you? You trust in God, do you? Prove it. Prove that you trust in God. Prove that you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. Jump. Go ahead. Put on a show. The first temptation, the focus is on Jesus' own power. Change these stones into bread. The second temptation, the focus is on God's providential care for His Son, Jump, God will catch you. Put on a spectacular show and we will be awed at God's power and his care for you. Jesus faced in his humanity the temptation that we face many, many times in our lives. In the drone of everyday existence, we want God to do something spectacular. We want God to show other people his power. We, we sometimes want God to vindicate us. And sometimes when people are demanding that God do something spectacular, they easily miss the countless blessings that come from his hand every day. There are hundreds of indications of God's concern for you every day. It takes faith to open up our eyes to see them. It's absurd for people to demand that God prove himself because proof is written all over creation for everyone to see. I'm I'm amazed when the rich man tormented in hell asked Jesus if God would just send someone from the dead to tell his brothers if just you could do something spectacular if, if they could just see something spectacular Someone come back from the dead, then they would listen. Jesus' response, they have God's word. They've got the Old Testament. That's all they need. That's all that's necessary. The problem is not God or the revelation of himself and creation and his word and the blessings. The problem is unbelieving hearts, isn't it? It's amazing to me that the one generation in all of Scripture 
maybe the one generation that saw more miracles than any other generation had the problem of unbelief. The wilderness generation, the generation that witnessed the plagues in Egypt, the the generation that witnessed God's power to deliver them from Egypt, the generation that was cornered there at the Red Sea and God opened up the Red Sea so they could walk through the Red Sea and then the sea came back and the Egyptians drowned. The, the generation that saw the provision of God of food and water countless of times. It was the generation identified in Numbers chapter 14 when they refused to complete the mission that God had given to them to take the land. They refused because of their unbelief. They didn't believe even though they had seen all of these spectacular things. Spectacular does not produce faith. A lack of faith says, prove that you care for me. Jesus, as our representative and Savior, faces this temptation to put God to the test. Satan offers this challenge to Jesus and even quotes Scripture in support of his challenge. Matthew 4, 6 is from Psalm 91, a beautiful psalm describing God's protection from danger. Maybe you know some of the contents of Psalm uh, Psalm 91. You read Psalm 91 and sometimes you think it promises too much. Verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 3, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Verses 5 through 7, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And then you have these words at the end of the psalm, words which... Satan himself quotes, verse 11, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus, don't you believe the Bible? God says he will give his angels charge over you. God says he will not let you dash your foot against the stone. God says he will deliver you. jump. Go ahead. Before you hit the ground, the angels will be there. With the supposed authority of Scripture, Satan challenges Jesus to prove God's divine protection. But not even Jesus has that kind of a blank check with his Father in heaven. Sonship does not mean the power to perform miracles whenever it suits him to do so. A continuing refrain in the life of Jesus, this is according to his human nature, of course, according to his divine nature, he is equal with his Father in heaven, but according to his human nature, he submits himself to the will of his Father in the mission that Jesus came to accomplish, and that is the refrain throughout the life of Jesus, that I have not come to do my will, but I've come to do the will of the one who sent me. A miracle at this point would force the hand of God. 
A miracle would not be done for the glory of God. The basic issue is whose will are you going to follow? And Jesus always perfectly submitted his will to the will of his Father in heaven. If we're caught up in the miraculous, if we're demanding that God act in a certain way, if we're, if we're carrying resentment because God has not acted a certain way, it's a lack of faith. It's evidence that we have not submitted our lives to the will of God. I've run into people who are bitter because God has not acted in a certain way. And it's tough sometimes, but the issue comes down to whether we trust in God's providential care. Of course, submitting to the will of God, even though it's not easy, does bring joy and contentment. And we begin to see his care for us in many, many, many ways. He really does care. The evidence is all around us. Jesus' answer is simple and to the point. He doesn't even get into a debate with Satan over the misuse of Psalm 91. He bypasses that altogether. And he simply quotes one sentence from Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall not test the Lord your God. The particular Greek word that's used here can mean either tempt or test. And we know from other passages that God cannot be tempted by evil. And James 1.13 is clear that God does not tempt anyone to do evil. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by, by his own desires. We cannot tempt God and God does not tempt us, but God can test us. And he has the right to test us. A test from God is, in a, is not an allurement to do something wrong. It's a situation that will show where we are. Show where we are with God. Show where our heart is. Expose our weakness. Expose our sin. It's a problem if we test God. Because testing God is usually the opposite of trusting in God. And we put him to the test by trying to get him to prove something to us. In this situation, follow this, in this situation, Satan is tempting Jesus, right? Jesus is a human being. Satan is tempting Jesus, trying to get Jesus to sin by testing God, by testing his father, by forcing an issue where the father will have to act. Deuteronomy 6.16 forbids this. You shall not test the Lord your God. It adds, if you look at that verse in context, it adds as you did at Massah. What happened at Massah? Exodus 17. There was no water. 
the people grumbled and complained against Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us with thirst? It would have been better if we had died in Egypt. It was the same response in the chapter previous, Exodus 16, when they didn't have food. And all they could remember about Egypt was pots of meat and all you could eat. Not remembering the difficulties of of Egypt. And even though God had provided for them in Exodus 16, He had provided food for them. They come to Exodus 17 to Massah and there's no water and they respond in exactly the same way. They complain and they grumble. <coughs> Exodus 17 7 says, They tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You know, prove that you care for us, prove that you are among us. Give us water. We need water. Satan wants Jesus to respond just as the Israelites did in the wilderness. To put God to the test. Prove that God really cares for you. Jump. Jump and we will see. If you are the Son of God... Show us. Demonstrate it to us. And jump. Jesus answered, you shall not test the Lord. Don't challenge God's providence. Don't make willful demands of God. Don't don't try to force God's hand. You can probably turn on religious TV and find this happening in some places, right? I remember many years ago now a certain evangelist who said that if he did not raise a certain amount of money by a certain date that God was going to take him home. He may have really believed it, but it was a manipulative ploy to get people to give money. It was a challenge to God. If this doesn't happen by this date, if you don't send in the right amount of money by this date then God must act in this way. He's trying to force God's hand. I don't know if you face this temptation. Sometimes we want something so bad that, that we are tempted to, to force God's hand. It could be any number of things. Need a new job, need a change of circumstance person in your life you'd really like changed and Lord it would be for your glory we face the question many times in life are we testing God or are we trusting God are we making willful demands or are we humbly praying to God are we attempting to force God's hand or are we placing ourselves in his hands See, God's providence is to be trusted, not tested. Jesus must have faced this temptation and other temptations throughout his life. Luke 4.13 states that Satan departed until an opportune time. He wasn't yet finished. But think about this for a minute. Who was Jesus? The eternal Son of God clothed in human form. 
You wouldn't know he was the eternal son of God by just looking at him. If you passed him in the marketplace, you wouldn't know that you walked, just walked right past God. He didn't have some halo glow above his head. He was a real human being. Born into a family that did not have very much with rumors of illegitimately, illegitimacy, sorry, floating around in the air. God, can I, can I really trust you with this? He could have proven any time and any place that he was God. He could have shown his powers and abilities any time, any place. Great, spectacular shows of miracles. But he always submitted himself to his father's will. He walked the dusty roads of Palestine in obscurity. You realize he's a mere footnote in the pages of secular history. Because they didn't think he's very important. He could have had a great career. He could have won the praise of people by doing sensational things. But he did the will of his father. And what did that get him? Ended up on a cross. Even on the cross... He does not try to force the hand of God, even when people are taunting him. Remember what they say to him as he's hanging there on the cross, save yourself. Come down from that cross. Let the king of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They were believing in Jesus' claims. The same temptation he faced from Satan in the Wilderness, do something spectacular to prove that you are the Son of God. Jewish people saw him as an imposter. The Romans saw him as a criminal, a convict. He never once tried to force the hand of his Father in heaven. As that old song says, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he died alone. For you and for me. Even in Gethsemane, he prays, Not my will be done, but your will be done. And what people miss is that on the cross, God was doing something spectacular. We don't even understand how spectacular what was happening as Jesus hung on the cross. God was showing people his power there as Jesus hung on the cross. God was vindicating his people against all the attacks of Satan. And if you read through the gospel of John closely, the glory of Jesus is the glory of the cross. Only seen by by those who believe. And so now we who are followers of Jesus, have the confidence to live our lives in such a way that we don't have to test God's providence. We can trust in His providence. We don't have to try to force His hand. We can place ourselves securely 
in the hands of God. Doesn't mean life won't be hard at times. Lou's father, Barb's father, <laughs> Lou's father died when the year she finished high school. She graduated from high school, and it was not long after that that her father passed away. And at that time, I think Barb was in St. Louis. I happened to hear of his death, even though I had never met Lou or Barb. I was working at Covenant College. After my freshman year of college, and I stayed at Covenant College and worked at the conference desk. We had conferences going on at the college all summer. So I was working at the conference desk. It was one morning, and a call came in. Probably it was Lou calling. I didn't answer the phone. That would have been a bit unusual looking back on it. But uh, someone else answered the phone and says, we have to go get Bev. Bev was another sister. Bev was at Covenant College. We, we have to go inform Bev that something um, tragic has, has taken place. Lou and Barb's dad had woken up that morning and had been awake for a while and then had a heart attack and died. It was the next year that I actually met Lou when she came to Covenant College. But during his funeral, they sang the hymn that we, we sang this morning earlier. And I'd like to review the words because it really encapsulates what we're looking at this morning. It's the hymn, Whatever My God Ordains Is Right, hymn, hymn 108 in your Trinity hymnal. Whatever my God ordains is right, his holy will abideth. I will be still whatever he doth and follow where he guideth. He is my God, though dark my road. He holds me that I shall not fall. Wherefore to him I leave it all. Whatever my God ordains is right, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait his day. Whatever my God ordains is right, though now this cup in drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true. Each morn anew, sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. Whatever my God ordains is right, here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet am I not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him... <clears throat> I leave it all. Trusting in God's providential care does not mean that life will be easy. It does not mean that we'll not have questions. We will have questions. Many times we'll, we'll go to the Lord with a lot of questions. But if God has given up His Son for our salvation, 
as Romans 8 reminds us, you can trust him with the other things in your life. You can trust God, not test God. He will provide what you need. And as Paul goes on to remind us in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's our hope. So I encourage you, continue, continue to trust in your heavenly Father. It's difficult, it's hard at times, but ultimately it is for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it deals with the difficult things in life, even as we heard from Psalm 22 earlier. We thank you that we serve a God who loves us, loves us so much. Father, you would send your very son into this cold, dark world full of suffering and death to deliver us. We thank you for the hope that we have, even in the darkest of hours, the hope that we have because of what Christ has accomplished for us. We thank you that we see, even in his human life, his response to the problems and the difficulties of life. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would work in us and through us, that we would be a light in the midst of this dark world in which we live, as people live every day without any hope, or or they live with false hope. And so, Father, use us as your people, as you mold us and shape us to be vessels that are full of grace and mercy and compassion to those who are suffering. We thank you for Christ's sake. Amen.